EP podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, the home to punk legends Bad Religion, who are celebrating their 30th anniversary with a brand new studio album, The Descent of Man, in stores now. Head to wrongwaykids.com to submit your classic old school punk photos for a chance to see them in the band's music video for Wrong Way Kids and catch them on their current headlining tour, which wraps up November 20th in San Francisco. And progressive metalcore unit Bring Me the Horizon, whose new album, There is a Hell, Believe Me, I've Seen It, There is a Heaven, Let's Keep It a Secret, debuted at number 17 on the Billboard Top 200. You can see these British Hellions alongside August Burns Red on the AP Tour Fall, which ends November 28th in Cleveland. For more information on these and other new releases, go to epitaph.com. Do you miss it like you said you would? The mutual understanding. Did I meet any of those demands you made so out of this world? Should I listen? We can do without the big hair and makeup. That kind of rock star is done. I think there is a new breed of rock star that is a lot more humble. So said, therefore tomorrow, lead singer, 21-year-old Micah Miley. Miley and his group have been around a relatively short period of time, only since about 2003, but have already become one of the most promising young groups out there who seek to take center stage in 2011. The four-piece Orlando-based group, consisting of Miley on lead vocals and guitar, Christian Clymer on lead guitar and backup vocals, Jay Enriquez on bass, and Chris Camarada on drums, released several projects on their own, thanks to some family financing, including 2004's album Point of Origin and the EP Pages in 2007, which was also produced by James Paul Wisner of Under Oath and Dashboard Confessional fame. With the help of their then-manager JR from Less Than Jake, the band signed to Hopeless Records in 2008, releasing their self-titled EP that August and scoring the Breakout Artist of the Year MTV Woody Award over both We The Kings and All Time Low. The David Bendith, James Paul Wisner produced 2009's A Little Faster secured the band as a heat-seeker group to watch, easily allowing them to secure nationwide Warp Tour spots and 2010's Take Action Tour. This fall, the band released Recreations, a remix revisit EP that is the band crossing several of their fan favorite hits into dubstep territory. The group submitted social music of choice. In many ways, the Recreations on this EP break, therefore tomorrow, out of the stereotyped swoop haircut mold that has been placed upon them and appeal to a more chill out college crowd, potentially opening more doors than they may even realize at this point. Though there are a lot of new groups out there, and a lot of them are doing the same thing, there's something about Miley that sets him, and his band for that matter, apart from the rest of the lead singers with their stylist hair and overactive Twitter accounts. He's a lead singer who admits to sometimes enjoying being behind the studio board more than on stage. A lead singer who also has strong opinions against two music industry standards of the day, including the use of auto-tune and the use of co-writers. On his Twitter account, screen name MicahTFT, that's spelled M-A-I-K-A-T-F-T, simple, he uses that mandatory promotional tool of fans not just to plug the latest thing the band is working on, but as a way to create a conversation, a debate, often asking his fans questions in his own search for answers in this world, as he struggles to understand it and live within it. He's carried this quest over to YouTube with his own channel, Micah Miley TV, 
launching a Q&A answer series with fans he calls the Moods. At age 10, Miley lost his 23-year-old sister in a car accident, and three years later, distraught over the loss of his daughter, his father committed suicide when Micah was a young 13. It was about this time that Micah began playing music with his buddy Chris Camrata, now there for tomorrow's drummer. Earlier this year, he participated in MTVU's video campaign, Half of Us, speaking to fans about how he learned to cope with his family's loss. You can find it at halfofus.com. Maybe it was the tragedies of his youth that has caused Micah to not just let life lead him around like a dog on a leash, but to run ahead, searching for the answers and ways to not only succeed in the industry he's chosen to set home base in, but to also understand what his role on this planet is supposed to be and how he may help a few others along the way. He wants to do more and be more, but understand more. And plus, he never wants to become just one of those bands. As he wrote on his Twitter account recently, if we were ever to try to be cute and try to be one of those boy band gimmicky things, please shoot me. This is Mike Shea. I was going to uh, start off and kind of sideswipe you with usually a little trivia uh, note about you, but now, um, as I stated when we got out of the car, and I got to say this for the uh, listeners here, um, and I'll repeat it, dude, you're going gray. I am. I am. And you're 21 and you're going gray. I'm 21. I I tell people, um, wherever it is, when I'm passing or anything, people always notice it and wonder what it is and how I got it that way. But uh, the only way I can refer to it as is just untapped wisdom. They always like that. <laughs> versus hereditary. Yeah, versus genetics. Genetics. Uh, so what do you get? You get to keep it? Oh, yeah. I think so. Um, I don't know. Are you still getting carded? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Even with that? I think the face counter counters the uh the grayness so. so if you grew it out like i did like would your would you have like gray facial hair i don't know but i would want it i'm trying to be just like you mike oh thank you that's 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 <laughs> no the... you can see the five the five is is pretty black yeah it's there wow so by 30 or so you're gonna be kicking you're gonna be kicking it so you know that's it's actually a kind of an interesting tie-in to you know um you, 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 there's a lot like when I when I started AP when I was only 19 mm. I had a lot of the old school printer guys have been in the business for 25 years at that point and they looked down on me and saw that in some cases I was very naive and oh, didn't know yeah. what I was doing but there was very much of a dismissal side to the whole thing and yeah. so have you guys kind of feel like you've you've gotten past that now where not necessarily the people you know, but the strangers that you, the, the new club promoters, the new sound guys and stuff, they look at you and it's just like, uh, the, are they okay now with you or you find an ageism still there? Um, we usually carry ourselves um, appropriately sometimes. It depends what time of the day it is, but no. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you always got to worry about everybody's uh, presumptions or whatever whatever conclusions they jump to early about you, but... Um, you know, usually I hit it off with the sound guy right away because that's 
the number one tie we need in a club every night is between us and the sound guy. So when that's not there, then uh, something usually always goes wrong. But um, yeah, we we like to uh, to naturally we're friendly and we just like to meet everybody and be cool with everybody and make sure our presence is known. Um, so I I think over the years we've kind of gained some sort of a name and people, but it's hard to know because that's a whole different um, side of the spectrum from where we're at as the band going into the club and this and that. So it's it's cool to try to understand these people. I think we're past that young boy, these kids have no idea what they're doing stage. So, you know, there is that statement that the person you should befriend first in the club is the sound guy. Yeah, there is that. I mean, well, we, because we, we've had some tussles with sound guys before and that just comes out in the end making you sound bad so so if there was a rule of thumb of what usually would go wrong with sound mm. at a show uh from a band's perspective uh, maybe for those fans and the audience that don't understand what is usually the number one thing that goes wrong i don't know man it's, it's always a number of things um especially now that we've co- incorporated a midi setup and we, we play software synths live and uh have the computer to uh crash on us once in a while uh there's always that but um i think the main thing for us like we always want the vocals to be there and out front and be able to understand me so the first thing that always throws me off is when the vocal level is just low in general and is getting eaten up and i'm sitting there having to talk sign language to get the crowd involved so (laughs) I i don't really i'm not good with sign language i've never been deaf but is there something that that usually uh artists will ultimately continually cause um headaches for themselves when they go on stage if they're not prepared for something yeah. in particular oh yeah i mean i don't know some people prepare by drinking two bottles of cheap whiskey and some people <laughs> prepare by warming up for an hour working out lifting and this and that and there's this routine you kind of have to have when you make a career out of traveling and um i think as long as you're just in the right mind space every night and go up there and have, you have a purpose, then, you know, you probably should do well. But a lot of people just go up there blind and start talking about wanting to take baths and yogurt with 14 year olds in the crowd and stuff. And that's weird. (laughs) (coughs) That's always awkward. Have have you tried that line yet? No, no, no. I've seen it in effect and I didn't really get affected by it in the the right way. So I didn't use it. I guess it would depend if it's low fat yogurt. (laughs) Um, So you were born April 17th, 1989 in Orlando, as you confirmed for me last night. And uh, uh, I actually pulled up as best I could your astrology chart. (laughs) That's funny. I'm Uh, wearing... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, no, now you said it. Now they can't see your shirt, so explain. <laughs> oh, my shirt in German says, I am. And the Aries slogan slash motto thing is, I am. And I'm an Aries, so. So there is some kind of, I mean, there is, there's deeper behind that, obviously, with I am. It's yeah. like, what does it mean to you? To me, um, it just gives me uh, some sort of shoes to fill. Like, I, I am here, I am in existence for some reason. Um I've always been on the forefront of something else from everybody else. So um, over the years, I, that's, that's a constant journey for me is trying to find <clears throat> what I am does mean. But, you know, as long as I never reached that definition of what I am means, I think 
I'll always have a purpose of just searching for it, <laughs> always. You said before that uh, I just want to find my place in this world, just like the rest of us. But if you really kind of go through the three-inch stack of interviews I did uh, with you, uh, that tends to come up quite often, mm. is that you're just trying to find a purpose and to leave a mark mm. of some sort and not make it be, and to be do it in a true way. Mm-hmm. You know, you've said before that... Um, you want to be smart and not make shortcuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get cut short when you take shortcuts. So um, we've always found in the position we've always been in on the on on a, a steady, quote unquote, come up. We've always progressed and just always came from nothing, and now we have something. And something always means something else. When it, a year from now, it'll mean something else. So. Um, yeah, that's all we know is is seeing these these people blow up and then fall and then you know us still right you know kind of being in a different position than they're at. So, uh, what shortcuts though? Like, what shortcuts do you have you seen so far? I mean, have I seen? I mean, it's it's easy. It's really easy to go out there and you guys have only been together technically seven years. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really easy to go out there and and be this waste case and be this fun party person and that's all you you mean and sacrifice your integrity and wear you know wear a whole circus of clothes to um you know kind of accentuate your bubblegumness but uh, for with us we have a little bit more of a a a a liking to ourselves i mean that's no really knocking on anybody in specific but that's just my perspective on what happens we've seen just like what I just talked about, what people say on stage to the crowd, and it's easy to to get the yeah, fuck you, fuck you know. It's easy to do all that. Can I cuss, by the way? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Uncensored. I forgot it's alternative press. Yeah, we're just <laughs> we're just you know we're just a, a Howard Stern show. <laughs> um. So, so was it something that you guys actively, as a band, will with with every new project that you're making, or maybe you could offer tours and so forth, that you actually sit there and have you stop yourself to think if you're shortcutting yeah well i mean there's one thing when you have an opportunity to just further your process of growing and then there's there's a big difference on doing that and you know not taking maybe a a big old check to just sell your rights or something there's this that's just two sides of the table we've never really been in a big old situation where some big old endorsement companies offering all this money for our lives or anything, you know, just for instance, I'm just using mm-hmm. an example. But, uh, you know, there's other other types of quote-unquote selling out, which no one really knows what that means, but everybody has their own definition. But uh, to us, we just always want to have our beliefs set in stone and carried out with whatever we do. Um, so as long as we honor that, then I don't think... We're ever going to be untrue. You know, there, some of the earlier interviews you guys were talking about, um, it was a slight defensiveness, um, which it's understandable, where you mm. would sit there and go, we're not like the rest of the bands. <laughs> Essentially <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. Every yeah. band wants to say that. They're, Every band they're, they're, they're right. Everybody. But, but you really did try and differentiate yourself from uh, stereotypical uh, emo bands, but at that mm. point had become copy cutter, uh, as well as uh, referring to boy bands in general. Yeah. Um, there was a... It was said in a complimentary way, but there was a Chicago Tribune piece from September 2008 where they, where the writer wrote, 
she wrote, uh, There for Tomorrow is like a group of musical male models without the bird brains. <laughs> Easy on the eyes and ears. And, you know, that speaks a lot to girls, but then to the guys, they're going to sit there and go, well, once they see the word models in that, they're yeah. going to start writing you off. So you guys have kind of always wanted to make sure that you were considered legit. Mm -hmm. So what have you guys turned down that has been path. offered to you? Yeah. That you felt was going to make, was, was going to make you, uh, I don't know, illegitimate. It, it all, it all really lies in our music. And, um, you know, we've had little tastes of where we have kind of accommodated somebody else's take on what our music is but um you know we're growing as musicians and we're growing as as fans of music and followers of what's happening and um we've definitely now people know we're kind of hard to work with when it comes to being musical really that's, that's only it, it, really not, not hard to work with but we just are very opinionated and and it's almost hard for us sometimes to get things going because we we have our our eyes set so high on this big glorifying piece that's going to come out of every song. And, um, you know, we didn't really gratify that with anything we've done so far. We've, we've, we've gotten little glimpse of it, glimpses of it, but that just means there's so much material to come. Does it tie into how the band name came around? Because the, the, the quote was, uh, Jay came up with it. Mm. Um, is that true? Yeah, he did. Okay. And we just wanted a simple yet defining name that would explain our desire to be stuck in people's heads for the long run. Mm -hmm. And that, that's been our kind of general motto for so long, just to not be that one night stand with a fan, you know, be, be, be something to, to grow into this effective empire or, or something like this our music is like this leech on your brain, like giving you something or taking something from you, whatever it is. And uh, not in a negative way, but we just always want to be around. We always have wanted to because the bands we've loved and always really, really, really loved and still do are legendary. And artists, they're all legendary because they took the time to build and grow and always reinvent and do actual artistic things with music so you wrote uh you put on your twitter on september 3rd of this year um therefore tomorrow integrating technology and music since 2003 without that was in caps without the auto-tune yeah uh -huh. we've discussed that in the past you're yeah. pretty adamant about that and i think co-writing yeah both i once again all right i don't have to throw in the the uh I'm sorry if you do it, but <laughs> I don't have to throw that in. It, it's just, I don't understand why a, maybe a production, a musical production tool could be changed from just an, an instrument to help the sound of a record into a talent supplier. I never knew where that came from. Some people, it is a sound and that's cool. You know, it's a little bit different when T-Pain does it or, or something to get that more automated robotic sound or something but when you have to have that on because you can't sing it's a little flaky <laughs> it's really flaky actually do you think that by um i mean well some of the some of the performers in glee they auto-tune mm -hmm. them pretty heavily yeah uh, and others are pretty natural um but as far as co-writing is there something about um 
mean, talk about co-writing. What's your uh, um, feeling? Co-writing is, is... I mean, because it's pretty much how everybody works now. The first now, thing's out of the manager's mouth, the producer's mouth. Yeah, it's like, who are you going to co-write? Who's going to co-write? Yeah, who's going to help you be lazy because you can't do it? Is that how you see it? It's yes. Like being it, lazy? Kind of. Not, not exactly lazy. I think some people need some guidance in, in young ages and young stages of, of being musical. I'm not talking from this high horse. I'm just saying sure, that sure. we right. search and spend the time and grow the gray hairs and... And <laughs> literally, that's why it sounds like us, though, when the thing's done. Um, it's one thing to, to for us personally, like. We don't have to go and get these five people in on our music when we're going to go get these three people at the studio in on our music. We'd rather cut the chase and have just these three people, the engineer, the producer and whoever else is working in there to be the only ones it's just easier so the producer's job in general should be in pre-production to strip down the songs if that's what you're asking for and be the co-writer or whatever so that's kind of that magical person we always look for when we want somebody to produce a record but as far as going with this american idol writer and this top 40 and that uh, disneyland and this these people to get these hit songs now everybody's got hit songs. So pop songwriting is just so overcluttered and genuine. It's just growing into this weird over ugh, cesspool of safeness. And Jimi Hendrix never had someone come in and tell him that he should, instead of say Silver Haze, say Purple Haze. You know, Alanis Morissette, I doubt, you know, had some person with 50% of their, her song come in and tell her to you know, add a ED at the end of <clears throat> present or something to make it past tense. Like, it's just, it's just another way to sell your music to somebody else. That's all. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I have a really wide range of things to say about co-writing. Well, I'm kind of wondering, just to play devil's advocate and yeah. for the sake of conversation, is that you worked with James, uh, James Paul Weiser mm-hmm. on pretty much most of your work. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there is, uh, I read that he, in a way, became a mentor to you. Yeah. And for his production, engineering, uh-huh. work, mixing. And so if he was, if his role was to kind of educate you a little bit and you learned from him mm-hmm. and you, you said a quote one time um, talking about your earlier material and how some of the um, common board critics were writing it off as simple and mm. kind of uh stereotypical glossy of, yeah yeah and and you you said i was 16 when i wrote that stuff so i'm not going to come out with all this crazy john mayer stuff because i'm 16 years old give me some time man <laughs> so isn't that the kind of the same thing like where some people would sit there and say well your ability to structure a song mm-hmm. and do a hit because I would think that from the business side of being in a band, yeah. your business people all want you to have a hit. Yeah. Because that's how you get all of a sudden on the red carpet at MTV. Yeah. Like tomorrow night. Uh-huh. So um, so to them, they're like, we need to educate you. Yeah. By pulling in somebody who's, I don't know, like that's their thing is yeah. song structures. Whereas Weisner was you yeah. know, sitting behind a board. For sure. Yeah. I mean... I- I'm not really um, saying that in a, in a young age or something. You you need um, to 
be yourself always and this and that. There's obviously guidance needed, and we're always searching for that, asking opinions and this and that. Um, but I think with you don't have to go to like these five songwriters that this band used on their record that went almost gold or whatever. You don't have to use those five. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you could just go with the producer and have them really understand what you're doing and believe and have them be that guy that you learn from, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think uh, that's why everybody sounds so lost because they're getting all these two cents from everybody and percentages taken (laughs) because everybody has stuff to say. But nowadays I watched a, uh, I love this documentary called Before the Music Dies. Oh, sure. It was, uh... it just came to light. Like, you know, all these, all these people, that aren't musicians are telling us what to do with our music. So I wouldn't go to Wall Street and tell this guy how to manage his money because I don't really know about that. <laughs> Just kind of, um, I don't know, some people's opinions on, on, on what you should do and what you can't do now is just really far-fetched on what it was in the 70s or 60s or 50s when rock and roll was really brewing something cool. How much do you educate yourself on the history of music? Um I've just always been aware. I don't really, I don't think I've ever sat there and studied, but okay. I've just always been aware. So you don't like read, um, you know, infamous biographies and so forth, so on, documentaries yeah, I, and things? I, I, I definitely, if it comes around, I, those are the things I love mm-hmm. and enjoy, but half the time I'm lost in my own headspace. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's, you, you caught it before we started, the Urban Dictionary definition. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this definition of you. It's definition number two, uh, and uh, it says lead singer. Uh, uh, for everybody, so that they understand how to pronounce your name, it's mm. Micah Miley. All right, there we are. Um, lead singer in a band called There for Tomorrow. Crazy deep. Most of the time, no one knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he dozes off at times and has an amazing voice. And then it goes on and says who you're in the band with. Um, were any of that legit? <laughs> A legitimate uh, statement. Let yourself defend yourself at this point. No, I, I think she's got it. it <laughs> that guy sounds really confusing, <laughs> and I think I am. Yeah. You you say you have a uh, a, a language to yourself, Micahese. Yeah. yeah, our fans have dubbed me with that. Run on sentences. Yeah. Oh yeah. Always have to. Too much to say, and you got to fit it all in 140 characters. So you're not just trying to be clever. I mean, your Twitter is pretty interesting, too. Is it? Yeah. I, it's not, not really just tr- like, come buy our merch. Yeah. Do yeah. everything. I mean, you're trying to you make little statements that make you think for a second or confuse yeah. the hell out of you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, half the time, it's just my thought process just put down in 140 characters just to put in the Twitter universe so people can, you know, kind of take something from it. But usually it's just for me to just get something down and I'm a scatterbrain so I have to get something down and to put that in the public it's just kind of a um not necessarily bold but it's just a a different move than to keep it all in a binder and then make it a big piece of work one day do you ever feel obligated to share your life um no but I do when I only get one retweet no I'm just kidding (laughs) I'm just kidding no, I don't. I really don't. I just it's just all all a part of the game now, like what's happening in the world and how technology and the digital outlets are just so easy and they're they're there. They're a form of entertainment in in the long run. But uh 
we all know the entertainment business is nice. <laughs> it so can then, be nice. So then when do you get to shut off? Uh, I don't do you know. get away from it all? Uh, uh, when I'm growing a beard in the writing spot. <laughs> <laughs> but usually when I'm, when I'm writing and I'm working and like being creative, there's so much other things that I wouldn't include in a song. It's just something to say and boom, right there, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, write up something. I get really frustrated a lot sometimes. So just being able to put it out into in a uh, blank space and make that blank space something is, in it, is it's cool for me. So born and raised in Orlando proper, or is it one of the suburbs around the little smaller villages? Uh, I mean, there's so many little spots around Orlando that just kind of surround it. But yeah, we're from Dr. Phillips, which is a suburb right outside of it. Yeah, because you went to Dr. Phillips High School. Yeah. I was wondering where that name came from. Yeah. So, wh- DP. Uh, what, what the hell is, is that what they call it, DP? Mm-hmm. That was us, DP. We still live there. So what kind of what kind of area is Dr. Phillips? Is this... It's 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 safe. It's just a suburban area. Um, cul-de-sacs and cul-de-sacs. Um, now they're turning the street I basically live off of into this big old lush posh. There's a Pinkberry there, and there's a Chipotle. <laughs> Everything. There's a Flemings and Martins and Planet Smoothie and Tropical Smoothie, and it's crazy. It's a big old corporate game of in the restaurant business right around where where i'm from but it used to be just you know people raising their families and making them go to good schools do you feel like there's a part of your past that's now disappearing because of the changes in your neighborhood on Uh, your street yeah i guess so i mean but like before that happened all the orange trees got knocked down in florida you know to make just the houses so um you gotta always kind of appreciate what's happening in the time mm-hmm. but i mean this it's a huge addition to be able to go to one mile to whole foods and you know <laughs> well true yeah true, true definitely um so you uh started the the stories go that you started playing guitar at six mm-hmm. is that true mm-hmm. so was that something that you were like what was it that made like did your parents just come give you a play guitar or something mm-hmm. or did you're like what happened um i don't know I should be a lot better than I am as well, but <laughs> I took a whole break to learn how to sing. Um, I don't know. I mean, my, my father was always a guitarist, um, singer, entertainer. He was a head golf pro at Disney as well. Was he? Yeah. Because he came, he came over to the States from, from Tonga. Tonga, yeah. Which is this, was it actually a kingdom. Yeah. It was like 169 islands out in the mm-hmm. South Pacific uh, near New Zealand someplace. Yeah. And, uh, and so the story is that he came over to the States and he worked at Disneyland first. Disneyland, he, he worked at the Luau there. Right. And he played the ukulele or something like that? Or what did he do? Guitar, no, he, guitar? He dance, okay. uh, sing. He was just like the head entertainer kind of guy. And then he, then he moved to Florida. Yeah, when Orlando Disney did. World opened, he was one of the first Tongans in Orlando. Really? Yeah. And so then he met your mom there? Yeah. Because uh, your mom came from Illinois. Yeah, she did. She's a farm girl. My dad's an island boy, so <laughs> <laughs> tied tied two different parts of the map. Um, yeah, I think they were some random place, like an airport restaurant, luau place in like Brandon, Florida. I don't know. I got to ask her. My mom's probably, she's definitely going to listen to this 20,000 times. Too, yeah, there's a lot of different Floridas. <laughs> 
but um yeah they met there and uh that i guess their their lives would change right then mm. so um so back to the guitar sorry for the oh yeah sorry uh the guitar yeah i just had this impulse i was always always different my mom always tells me about it um my grandma as well uh, i was i was always that kid i was really social and always able to click with everybody and anybody but i could really click with myself so having an outlet like a guitar was just really interesting to me um and it just really grew into this love affair of being able to take out all my issues on on six strings and learn and grow and it was just something to go after and i don't really know if six-year-olds usually look for that but i was and uh my grandma bought me my first guitar because my dad tried to teach me and he was like telling my mom all right we should probably get him lessons because that's about all i know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so was it the guitar that fascinated you the instrument or was it the performance aspect I don't know. I mean, my first glimpses of what a, a concert is, is like a stadium full of passionate, insane fans and, you know, a Metallica show. I got the Black Album when I was six. It was your first CD, supposedly, right? Yeah, that I bought. And that was really good timing with starting to play guitar. I had something to go after. So I learned like all Metallica's discography up to the up to the Black Album from Kill em All by the time I was like 11. <laughs> so... I just, all I did was just the cassettes, just sit there, go through them all day long. Cassettes? Yeah. Retro cool. Oh, yeah. Until my mom had to peel me from the guitar and make me go to bed. That's what I came from. So you didn't do the uh, performing on in the bedroom uh, mirror and all uh, that stuff like that? Not really. I, I didn't really learn how to perform until I was like, I did a talent show and I just watched this the other day on VHS. Those exist. Um, and I was headbanging, going crazy, playing this little Metallica medley in fifth grade for a talent show. And that's so gonna end up on a DVD. It will, <laughs> it will. I'll put it out. I don't really care. Hey, I'm fine with that. Everybody else was playing with Pokemon, it's, and I was headbanging and playing Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're, is there? What was this? What was this performance? It was a talent show, but what were you? Yeah, I was just. I I, I put together a couple of Metallica songs and bridged them and started with a little solo thing and it's it's funny it's interesting that a 11 year old would do that and how did the audience respond they were just kind of blown away like wow i I was that kid from there on that guitar god kid really yeah because because you talk about it uh in one of the other interviews about in high school you were kind of like the everybody liked you guy kind of like you moved from table to table to table yeah I mean, I don't like. I don't want to say pretentiously that everybody liked me, but I had a good relationship. I I had really no beef with anybody that I can recall. But yeah, I mean, I just liked and appreciated everybody. I like what seeing what this person does living in um, you know a multi million dollar house compared to this person who's sharing a bedroom with their five year old niece. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting and it's cool because I've seen that. I've grown up. I got family in East Oakland. I got family in lush hawaii and stuff i got family everywhere so um just being able to travel bridges of of cultures and things like that i've always been interested in and always wanted to honor that because that was just instilled in me from my father um your brother played a little bass i guess yeah when he was younger yeah um um 
you had an older sister. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have an older brother. Mm-hmm. Is that it? And then yeah, you, and, and then, uh, my, my other brother, oh, Dave. Other brother. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you're the youngest. I am, um, by far. Was it, why, was there like a huge age difference? Yeah, my, my brother's the next in line, and he's 10 years older than me. Wow. Yeah. Late decision making <laughs> on my mom and dad's part. Decision making or, or... In Germany, they made that decision. Or impulse, whatever it was. Or yeah, a beautiful accident, right? <laughs> in Germany, yeah. In Germany. Why was it? Why were they on vacation? Yeah, they were on vacation. And ah. obviously, stars were aligning to have another one. There we are. Or too many beers starting at 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you... Why don't, we, why don't we do this first? We, we take two music breaks um, and... Uh, uh, when we do the first music break, we're gonna pick. I want you to pick two artists and a song by each artist. Um, and I want to talk about this a little bit because I find this kind of interesting. Um, when we come back, uh, you stated that you were at around 15 or so. You start going to local shows and you start going to hardcore shows. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know if hardcore shows meant thrice. No. Or like real hardcore shows. Like hardcore shows. Okay. So let's say um, end of middle school, early high school years. Uh, what were those two songs that would probably would have been your anthem songs that you just, they were oh. always on in your bedroom? Oh, man. Um, there's a wide range of them, but I was a huge No Effects, Pennywise, um, all that kid, but No Effects in eighth grade was my thing, so Stick It In My Eye. Love that cool. song. Cool. Um, as far as more of the hardcore side, I loved Champion. Um, they had a song called The Truth that they dropped off that one record they put out, <laughs> that one hardcore record they put out by that hardcore band. <laughs> it was great. I loved Champion. It was really melodic hardcore and fast and moving, and um, I've always liked that. So, yeah, I guess those are the two that stick out to me right now.
podcast is sponsored by Epitaph Records, the home to alt-rock icons Weezer, whose new album Hurley has been praised by fans and critics alike. Make sure to watch the end credits of Jackass 3D to see the band performing with Johnny Knoxville on the gang, and pick up your tickets now for the band's Memories Tour, a series of two-night stands which kicks off November 26th in Los Angeles. And Warp Tour breakout band Parkway Drive, whose new album Deep Blue is in stores everywhere. This Australian metalcore quintet's new songs impressed Epitaph head honcho Brett Gerwitz so much, he even sang on Homes for the Heartless. The band will return to U.S. shores in early 2011 for a tour with another Epitaph artist. Will it be? Well, that's for us to know and you to find out. For more information on these and other Epitaph new releases, go to epitaph.com. I would think that anybody that would kind of write you off as, um, you know, that one person stated, uh, musical male models, yeah. uh, would be rather shocked to know that you were into hardcore. Uh, what was it about hardcore that you got in? Like, I mean, I kind of get it from Metallica into that. Yeah. So is that what it was? Or is it just, did it kind of say something, the, the whole, you know, you talk about how you were moshing and you were getting yeah. everything, you know? Yeah, I... I think it was just the energy of music and I've always been that mover of when when something comes on a feel just overtakes and you start moving limbs in weird ways and stuff. But um I was a fan of hip hop, reggae, roots reggae. Um 
country, pop, metal, black metal, sludge metal, you know, you name it, uh, punk, hardcore. So I just liked everything, but I really liked the culture that surrounded hardcore. And it was almost like this big old elitist aura that was around everybody. They were so cool and they were big and they had these big tattoos and stuff. And uh, I just was that 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid that wanted to be cool and really liked the music. I mean, I genuinely really liked the music and nobody else was into it. That's why usually I get into things when nobody else knows them yet around me. So like I was training Thai boxing for two years right? just because I wanted to and I loved it. Um, that's kind of like same thing with hardcore. Just loved it. So when you got into hardcore, how did you change? Um, I, I think that's where the uh, I started to think of myself as credible, maybe because <laughs> you know there's that whole thing where right you don't if you don't know chokehold then you're not a real hardcore you know. <laughs> so I think once I just started learning more bands, no one knew about. Maybe I just thought I was cooler or something, but. I didn't really change. I just wore camo pants and no camo shorts, not pants. Never camo pants. <laughs> camo shorts with the Sacconis and the Bane shirt and the key ring thing on the. Oh, you did the whole. <laughs> oh night. yeah, and the one strap across backpack. That seatbelt backpack. Where did you, you shop for it? your stuff? Online. Really? Or I mean, just go to wherever get some camo shorts <laughs> and, and how did your friends at school at dp see you that music kid i don't know i mean i was i was more into hardcore when i was like 10th grade 11th grade i got really into it so i don't know i remember i got into this express polo shirt phase you'd see me head walking with express polo shirts at shows it wasn't really about like anything but really about individuality yeah i guess so yeah i've always i've been always so, you know, one of the things that um, uh, you've talked a number of times about, and uh, I don't want to uh, uh, overdo it. Yeah. Um, but it, but only because it has obviously from the interviews, uh, it, it seems to have, it's definitely have shaped you. Yeah. Um, with your sister, mm -hmm. um, and the story itself is is sad enough as it is. Mm -hmm. um, and you were, the, the the line that keeps sticking out my head, in my head was that you, you said you were brought home mm -hmm. from school. Yeah. And I don't know if that's right. Were you, were you actually called home from, from school to be told? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. They took me out and my, my aunt came and got me and I was wondering why. I was you thinking. Were, you were 10, right? Yeah, I was 10, fifth grade. And uh, I don't know, I was wondering why she was in tears and. Then I got home, my brother was in tears at the door, and then I heard my father weeping, so it was uh, it was intense. Mm. From there on, I was really different. I learned how things don't go right. You know, because uh, the, the story is, is that she she worked at a restaurant. Yeah. She was like 23. Like one one mile away from the house. That's one of the universal restaurants, mm -hmm. right? At the And uh, she was a passenger in a car. Mm -hmm. She got picked up. Mm -hmm. And... There was, you, you stated there was a road rage thing where, I don't know if the driver was responsible, like they were, were they competing racing with somebody or what was going on? Like I don't know. It, it was late. So maybe obviously you got to right. conclude that who all of them maybe had drinks. And right. even if they didn't, then maybe the other car all had drinks too. But I don't know, just a little competitive nature came out and then all of a sudden they were 
trying to pass up to throw something or yell or I don't know something and then they hit a curb and veered off and the only part of the car that hit anything was a palm tree right where my sister was sitting mm. and she just died on impact mm. everybody else just scraped some bruises um so after that you know I know uh um my dad died when I was 13. Mm, my grandfather yeah. died in like April that year. It was wow. my first time with death. And then my dad died in December that year. Wow. So, and he was only 50. Mm. So I know after that is when I changed. Oh yeah. And I went, life is unfair. And if there was a God, or if there was anything else, he wouldn't be doing this to me. Yeah. So did that hit you too? Is that kind of like the same kind of like, you realized that life was not as... Rosie is yeah definitely and and I was in a um I got put in because you know my loving mom and and my father too when he was when he was there uh they were both so loving and and they wanted to nurture me and they wanted me to have the best growth so they put me in this private school not necessarily because of the spiritual right overtone of it but just because of the safe environment and a good education so I appreciate that but I was around the 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 bells and whistles and the smoke and mirrors of of religious impact and 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 being brought up in that and then but being being told these weird mystical reasons for why my sister died or my dad died was just always really really weird for, for me mm. um so uh, i just really started to conclude that i just have to be a strong individual and rely on my close family and that's all I can really rely on. And uh, that's still my, my thing today. So did you, um, did any of, because I, I, it was a number of years later, mm -hmm. um, it was three years later. Yeah. Uh, with your dad. And yeah. I thought that you had made a statement at one point that I thought was, was in a way very beautiful. And you said, uh, cause your father committed suicide and mm -hmm. you wrote his problems killed him he didn't yeah and uh you've spoken about how it was a combination between the medications he was taking the antidepressants and there are mm -hmm. antidepressants that will make you suicidal yeah Zoloft. and and that he didn't vent he didn't let out mm -hmm. his emotions and so he kind of you know it, it ended up taking him yeah well it starts to just churn inside of you I've, I've had it too where you know, out here on the road or whatever situation it is, if I just, you know, bottle it up, it'll, it'll, it'll pop up, you know, that bottle will pop when it's shaken. So, um, how does it do it? Like, what's, is there like a, like you can start seeing it happen or you feel it or? I don't know. I mean, it, it hasn't been serious with me, but, um, I know with him, he was just that strong stone foundation of the family. So I don't really know who he could look weak to. Oh. Um, and also because of the tongue and nature of a male, you just have to be that strong, that rock. And oh, so it was a cultural thing too. Yeah, definitely. I, I think so. Um, so you, you get put in this place where vulnerability is looked at negatively, maybe in a, mm -hmm. in a male, but, um, we've all definitely learned from, from doing all this, that it's, it's, you have to cry. You have to yell. Sometimes you have to just accept the human nature of being unsatisfied and you got to kind of just take it by the hand and calm it down. You wrote, um, which makes sense, because I've always kind of felt this too, that uh, with all the things I've been through, I've been forced to mature at an unusually quicker pace than my comrades. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like now I just see people getting really flustered and, and 
and mad about certain things that's just like I can't judge it. I, I really can't and I can't weigh what I've been through over what somebody else knows as tribulation, but it's just so many more important things than like your nail breaking or you know, that's why right. me and girls are just a little un we don't understand each other sometimes, but um yeah, I mean, there's more to life. I I love the fine living and, you know, maybe one day have cool cars and one day maybe have cool houses, but it's people just as happy in shacks in Liberia, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot more to life that I've learned about. You ever kind of feel like you were uh, not robbed of a childhood or mm -hmm. like a high school, like, a, like, a, like your friends, you mm -hmm. know, because that's what I went through. I yeah. kind of would see my friends at my senior year and go... They have two parents. Yeah. I mean, your mother remarried at some point. Yeah. yeah. And so, but still, you kind of feel like, wow, I got robbed a little bit. Not necessarily. I think, it, well, because I've had such a huge family and my father's, you know, being of Polynesian descent and me being half Tongan, my family is like <laughs> limitless. Like there's so many family members and, uh. That, would, that showed up right away, you know, when we went through that. And my dad died. Well, my sister died first, and boom, next day, people cooking in the back, people folding the laundry, making sure whatever, just 100 Tongan people, 100 white people, 100 black people at my house. Just so many friends, so many family. I've just always been surrounded by that. So, like, at my graduation, I had, you know, like 30 people there for me just stand up and go crazy so um I've, I've always just been really fortunate to have people that love me so much and i that I, I really give everybody who's given that to me all thanks for me being the way i am but you you said that songwriting and music is your savior mm -hmm. in many ways a after my mom yeah really yeah is that like her motto kind of no way? no well I, I well she understands that but okay. my mom herself like is that's just my life I would not be. Oh, here. I see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Besides that, music and your mother. Yeah, music and mom. Yeah. The two M's. But uh, yeah, music. I I just now kind of started to realize as I've gotten out of my more pretentious eighteen and nineteen year old years, <laughs> I'm easing now into the humble twenty one. Um, I've really noticed that. Yeah, that that's the one reliable thing is being able to be creative and. Since I am always in a, being an individual and always liked individualism, um, that's just probably my best way to be different is to write different music or write my own music. It was you and uh, Chris Camarada. Mm -hmm. You guys played football together yeah. in the fourth grade. And I noticed in the Pages video. Yeah, we're there. That's that photo. <laughs> yeah. That's you guys in the football uniforms. Okay. Uh -huh. um, so... Uh, you guys had a supposedly what it was was that uh, Jay and Chris were playing like we're goofing around in but yeah instruments. yeah and then I've heard that I mean I've seen I've heard like well they asked you but then I also read someplace that Chris's mom called your mom yeah and suggested you guys play together yeah yeah definitely was that was that at the same time as the Metallica phase like with um, that oh, guy kind of phase um. Well, I was always that kid, like, because I remember at, like, a Pop Warner football function, I brought my guitar and I was playing. So, yeah, I was always that guitar kid. And uh, they knew I was a 13-year-old kid that had been playing for a long time. 
So they just wanted me, and um, it was like a play date thing. I went over there. My brother took me over there, and we jammed and learned No Effects songs and Green Day songs or something, and it was cool. I fell into singing, and then that was a whole new world as well. Why were you the guy that got thrown on vocals? I don't know. Maybe I could just carry the best tune at the time. <laughs> I'm not sure. I definitely wasn't. I definitely wasn't the cutest when I was 13. I was a little pudgy guy with the bowl cut and the dickies and the no effects shirt. But <laughs> so we weren't going for that lead singer thing. But <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know. I, I I I've just always been really musical, and I can play drums, I can play piano, and I can play you know bass and whatever. So. I learned quick with singing. Jay can sing. Um, James could sing, the, the kid that was in the band. Right. But, you know, we got Christian, who's got a great voice, too. So um, we all like to dabble. But singing is this whole new world now. The original band name was The Kickoff, which was TKO, you guys. <laughs> God, yeah. Called it. How long was it really that name? It was like a year and a half, two, maybe. Okay. And then your your friend James was in the band, James Flaherty? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, it's been, it just kind of gets beat around. Like it, it just seemed like people just didn't get along or something happened. Man, we were so young. It, it, it's hard to kind of even go back and think about what we were, we were, but yeah, just nothing. It, things don't click sometimes and got to be realistic. And how did you get to the, how did you get, how did you get to that first EP in April, 2004 point of point of origin? Oh, did your parents, um, your, your parents support, like, financed that? Like, all your parents? Or? Well, my, actually, no, we were on a, our cousin's label in town, and they oh, had a, the a big, you know, nice... GP or whatever? No, not... What WP, WP. WP. Yeah, right. Wolfgram Productions, and they took us under the wing, and, um, you know, they flew us out to L.A. to play at the, the Key Club. Like, they treated us really well, and we were always in the studio just working on that album, and my brother was our manager with his wife. It was a real family thing at the beginning, and... Um, you know, we, we have them to thank so much to, to be where we're at today. Because now, like, we go through instances and then we think about what somebody told us. And, then, oh, that was my brother. Oh, that was my cousin. You know, that's what that's what they're talking about. But I was 14, 15. I was trying to hear that, you know. But it's all setting in now. So then how did that record get made? Like, they just financed it? You guys went in and did it? And yeah, it was... we just did it. Um, Actually, one of one of the guys was just an engineer, Roy. He's a, he's a Wolfgram. He's a... Uh, Wolf Graham's just like a a, a real good Thai fit, Tongan family to the Mileys, and um, so we're basically family. And uh, he engineered it and mixed it, and it was all in house. It was all a, a um, in home thing. So we have them to thank to show and brag about what we were doing when we were thirteen, versus what the other people were doing. And you guys played on. Um that was the time period where you went to a couple of Warped Tours and then you actually played Warped Tour. Yeah. Like some Southeast, just gigs regionally. Yeah. How did you get on those? Um, I know when we were like, we played it once when we were like 15. Did really well. There was like 800 people out there watching us, which is like more than last year. But <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, they, I think, I think it was our family and my brother and just getting those connections and working and being hungry and we went out there and hustled all day and played and it was great and how many did you sell of that sell of point of origin yeah i don't even know man i have no idea those days are just so different 
I can't remember. I'll call my cousin and ask. Six where years it's at, ago, <laughs> where it's at. I'm sure there's been a nice spurt though within the past two or three years. Well, exactly, because it's still up on iTunes. <laughs> it's still up there. Point of origin. So then, Pages came out in 2007. This is where the first thing with James Paul, James Paul Weiser, mm-hmm. Under Oath and Dashboard and Paramore and all that. Um, and uh, this is the first release of Christian in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, how did he change the band? Uh, he came in and he was like a computer savvy, um, just a smart numbers kid. And our whole game really changed because we decided from there on out that we did want to take it seriously. And even though we were getting accepted to college, like that didn't matter. We really wanted to play music and just go out there. We didn't know what that entailed, but we uh, have learned and are learning. But yeah, Christian came in and <clears throat> he had this high singing range and he could play guitar and Jay has this, his comfortable range is a bit lower than mine, so we had this perfect three harmony thing that we could work out. So added a new sound, um, more flexibility. Um, yeah, like there's essential parts that Christian sings, like on pages in the, the counterpart in the chorus, like that's a part of our sound now, Christian's voice. That's, how, you know, how important it was. Jay has said that we were a different band musically before Christian. We just we had just wanted to just shred. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that we just started to get a little bit in tune with what was happening and why these songs were blowing up on the radio and why people connected with certain things over others. And uh, we were definitely just really finding this cool appreciation for, for songwriting and being able to express your feelings and, and, and have a meaning and stuff. So, um, you know, there's, there's not much you can do just shredding and doing double bass to say, except for I'm badass, you know. But ladies, you know, they might like the little vulnerable guitar guy singing, oh, I love you, baby. But <laughs> we didn't want to do that either. So we just wanted to kind of make our own place with songs. And we wrote pages and uh, you know we were, we were influenced by a lot of different things at that time. That's that's high school. That's where you know you're really just seeing a lot of stuff and taking it all in. So, um, is there a place in Orlando that you guys would write your music that would be like a regular hangout, like my house? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there isn't like a Denny's someplace or no. like a certain song was written in a particular parking lot of a. I I started pages in um, my AP Euro History class. I remember I wrote the turns you have to take still keep you awake like no melody in mind just that was one of the only songs I've had like a lyric and it just came out but um I think the first lines I were we change as we get older blah 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 and uh yeah we we would just always practice at my house and write and try to just tune up everything like I said before, we're we're pretty tough on ourselves, and we're our own worst critics. And it's it's almost hard to get something out sometimes because we we set so high, our goals are just so high and and rangy that sometimes we can't reach them. So we have to dial it back and then try again and then overshoot it and then dial it back and then just, uh, almost. <laughs> so we how'd tweak you, a lot. How'd you get hooked up with Wiser? Um, we played a show at the Social in Orlando. Um, it was a cool show, really good. His drum tech at the time that did a lot of the uh, tuning of the drums and helping him out on drum tracking was there. And he saw us, he's like, dude, you guys have to um, record with James. You guys are the perfect sound and you guys would mesh so well. And we were actually talking about doing a five song EP with somebody else. 
And then he was like, no, 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 man, this is this is James. This is great. So we talked to James the next day. Chris called him, and they talked. And it was like two weeks later or something. Like, Mom, uh, could we please? <laughs> could you? We'll pay you back. I promise. And uh, we went and recorded it and released it ourselves on iTunes and Smart Punk and did that whole independent band thing. Um, what did he? What did you learn from him? Um, I mean, that was our first time really in a legitimate recording situation, which was at his house. He does all his things out of his house. So um, the whole gloss of how a record is made was br- broken when I stepped in that house and was like, oh, he doesn't, oh, he does it in that room. Oh, cool. And then we're making these, you know, really great sounding things in a, in a home. So um, I learned how capable I can be on a laptop at my house. So just being so involved and, and I got really intrigued with the whole production side and mixing and engineering. I just would look over the shoulder. He would point out things. You know, I was 17 at the time, so I was soaking it all up, reading interviews, Chris Lord Algae stuff and this and that. And um, Yeah, he was awesome, though. He would be patient and take me through it. And he's an amazing guitarist. He shreds and he shreds on piano, too. So we meshed well with that. Um it was cool, though, because he was almost like this fifth member. He wasn't that big old producer guy hanging over you like, macho, you need to do this. He was that fifth guy, that new, fresh perspective that we always appreciated. Did you come out of that experience, maybe, you know, the first mini tours, um, that you realized where your weak spot was? Um, I don't know. I mean... Did you ever kind of sit there and go... I gotta work on that. Yeah, well, for for a while it was my voice cracking at this note, and then for a while it was my voice cracking at that note. But um, things like that, and what to say to the crowd, and you know, that's just all developmental things. And for me, um, for us, it, it's never really been like we did this thing really wrong. It's just we've done good things, and and good is just the enemy of great. So we're just trying to get to great that's how we're doing yeah i mean we're just some people are natural at other things and some people are yeah unnatural um well i don't know i i think we all have just been we've been really like a a good quote-unquote a good band for a long time but you know being a lasting thing you have to be more than just a good band so i think it's other things like being that I know people always try to guide me in being that lead singer guy and this and that, but you know I'm not that little, the little front man pouring out my heart, Bono. I'm not the, you know, big old screaming guy. I am the tallest one in the band, but so it's just it's just all a big old finding process with us. We do things wrong and then we just try to figure out how to do them right. I did not know that you guys were actually looking at major labels, or not. You, you were you were kind of being bid over to a certain extent. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had we had a couple options, and like we were always talking to people from uh, back then. We 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 had people from Universal and and Atlantic hit us up, but we were managed by Jr. by Less Than Jake or from Less Than Jake at the time, and you know if there's anybody that knows DIY punk rock, it's it's him and and what they've done. So he was that guy just being the dude, independent, independent, independent. And we were like, oh, he's right. <laughs> he's How right. How did you meet him? He heard Pages and went to our MySpace and then messaged us. And then we, he's like, hey, come out. We're going to be in Tampa next week. And 
went and met up with him and he was like, I want to manage you guys. And now he's like our big brother. <laughs> he's an amazing guy. What did you learn from him? <laughs> we learned the don't take anybody's shit thing from him. He was that guy. And uh, just to be patient and to, to always respect other people and learned a lot of things. He's He's just got a lot of great friends in this industry and we learned being on warp tour last year and seeing how people treat them and people how people treat us because we're under them was really cool and we were fortunate to have that wing that less than jake wing um but yeah he he, he taught us what is like really important and what's not so we never got that oh i think you just turn 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 your head this way that hair is like okay all right there he was always like, you look fine, man. Just get up there and do your thing. Don't worry about it. Like, just loosen up. That was him. So, um, you guys chose Hopeless mm -hmm. because... Well, they, they we'd been in talks for, like, months at that point where we were, like, buckling down, like, all right, it's this or that. So, they had just the most genuine liking and the most, uh, the more actual interest like they were just really about it and really liked it and were coming at us from a standpoint of of being almost like you know fans of the band and it was really cool and uh they found you through myspace as well yeah right? eric tobin hit us up on myspace that guy eric tobin um yeah and, and we started talking and then i really liked that i could just call up the owner lewis and just talk to him instead of this whole foggy big guy in this big old seat you know picking Miley Cyrus's outfit or whatever like it was just this guy I could go talk to and he's he's an awesome guy everybody I hope this is great so you, what, what's your graduating class here oh seven so you signed before you graduated no no I think we signed in 08, I think so. so, I, so right. I think. I'm really not sure those that whole thing is blurry, man. Well, because in August 2008 is when Therefore Tomorrow, the self-titled okay. EP comes out. Yeah. So that, that was on Hopeless. And yeah. That's the one that has... March 2008, I think, is when we signed. I think okay. so. Okay. Pretty sure. So was there that big discussion that you... Did you guys all have individual discussions with your parents saying, we're going to try music? Yeah. Or was it like a group come it, together... Well, our parents have always been behind us and have been the reason that we could do things and play shows and, you know, they could take us places and um, always been fortunate. But we got to the point where we were doing things and building this fan base and they were seeing the real potential and they liked the music and thought, obviously, you know, we're, we're their kids. So they were the number one fans and there was no having to win them over. It was like they were on board from day one and... um we have them to thank for the business minds too because they're all very business savvy and uh, they were totally into it. And JR was always real sensitive with dealing with our parents. And at that time, it was, you know, they obviously had a big say in what we do. But uh, we were trying to do that whole, all right, mom, all right, like, we're going to do this. We're fine. We're fine. And it wasn't that like, you know, our parents were like, touring with us and telling us how to sing this and right. suck in your fat and stuff. It was like, it wasn't right. anything like that. They were just very helpful, always. So by the time you graduated, were you, uh, did you get tagged with one of those most likely to? Yeah. I, oh, what did I get? I don't know. I got some kind of superlative. 
I can't remember, man. I got to look back. Those years are foggy, <laughs> foggy years. So you made the video for Pages. Mm-hmm. Um, Therefore, tomorrow, the EP comes out in August 2008. Wise back again on that. You redo four of the five tracks in the last EP, mm-hmm. put on that thing. Um, and uh, which one of those two EPs was the one that Sean from the matches? Oh, uh, it was the self-titled one. Self-titled Sean one. did the art, yeah. And he recommended to you guys like a whole theory about the band's like something to do with the roots and yeah, um, that was his idea. Uh, <laughs> Sean's a real artistic guy, and he's he's out there. Obviously, um, he's a, he's a super cool guy though. And uh, he had this original thing where it was like this alien life form comes with the plants a seed and and it grows. And <laughs> we were like, okay, we like the seed thing. Um, the aliens just. But he he worked it out and he he was he was awesome. We liked the the finished product and he you know hand drawn all this cool stuff. It, it's cool to just incorporate that talent that he's got. So then you won the MTV U Woody Award. Yeah, and uh, you beat out All Time Low and We the Kings. And mm-hmm. there's a bunch of questions that have been asked about like what, what was it animosity because yeah. you were like you know opening up for those guys and so yeah. so on. So on. If, if if anybody got angry over MTV U Woody Award, I'd like to take them to some places <laughs> and show them real life. But all that did for us was just spark expectations from people, and good way, bad way. I mean, expectations are are, are are kind of mid level either way for us. But yeah, then they started to incorporate us with, oh, now they're gonna sell this many records because they did that, and they beat out these bands that sold this record, and then can draw this many kids. So. But it's never been the case. We've never been like anybody else, really. Um, so it, it's not that we haven't filled any shoes of what a MTVU Woody winner should win, but I think people maybe just got ahead of themselves in thinking what we will be soon. Is it because you guys, is it coming back to that patience? Yeah. Again? Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and also that no one can, no one knows what we are. Yeah, you know, either do we. Like, no one does, so you can't really fit us into this dream tour. If you think about it, I, I, I really can't figure out who we could tour with right now, and it'd be like, oh, my God, that's the package that we could pay every bill off of for the next four years. Like, a lot of packages are going on for the past four years. Mm-hmm. These bands just touring together. But um, we're searching for those people that are want to be best friend band things, and we have a lot of great friends that are in bands but just musically and ideologies just don't really connect perfectly but i get the sense that you would probably connect more with somebody behind a board than another lead singer yeah the thing about lead singers is especially some of the bigger tours we've been on it's just so like spotlight all the time and the way they talk it's just like Bro, just <laughs> cut down the. I'm not. I had. I don't have flash on my camera. Like, just talk to me, whatever. That's why I, I really click with like Jono, my homie. All those guys, all the Rocket guys. Like, those guys are just real genuine, awesome guys. Um, but yeah, I I click with people that are have a lot to offer, because I'm just really interested to learn. 
so I could turn around and sit in that room and look over shoulders all day and I'd be fine in that control room right there mm. with those millions of dollars in there <laughs> of gear. So then how did David Bendit get brought into a little faster um, the following year? Yeah, when we were doing that, planning for the album, he started just kind of talking with Lewis at Hopeless, just, you know, gaining this relationship and starting this and, you know, potentially working with All Time Low. It's like, what about this band, blah, blah, And he really liked this song. He mixed Remember When um, on the EP. He mixed that, and that went well. He really liked us from then on out. And then, um, yeah, we just went in and did four four days with him, just went up to New Jersey, kind of see how it would go. And we wrote, like, the endings of a song that, we hadn't finished, but everything else was just kind of like there. We just had to break it down and rearrange things and maybe add a B part to the chorus to make sure it was right. So that was our only glimpse of, of co-writing was with him, but he was a producer, so that was okay with us. Christian has said that Bendith kicked your asses. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he showed you how to look at songs differently. Uh, the quote is, he put us in our place, he took the band down a level, and he humbled us. Yeah, and Jay has said that I feel like when we left, we we left with a higher standard for ourselves. Yeah, um, but I've also read that Bendith actually forced you, I guess was the word, to uh, to rewrite and rearrange songs, and so that it was kind of insinuated that there was a no, you're going to do it this way. Um, yeah, well, I'm pretty we're we're pretty opinionated like I've said, and we're pretty strong about what we, we feel is good, but a lot of the stuff wasn't exactly there yet, so him being like, this needs to change was like, oh, maybe it does, and we try it, and then it would be fine, it would be great. So, um, what I learned personally uh, was how to really resolve a chorus, and some of the choruses that were there, or I think it was only one, uh, it just didn't really wrap up the whole idea of what the chorus was saying. So it was just little stuff like that, adding a real quick line or like, you know, just a B part to really sum up what exactly I was talking about. I learned a lot from that. Um, and as, as far as the, the the chemicals that make up a band, like he knows it all. He's He's been there. He knows how to break them down and test them and, and mix them up and make them explode or make them this nice mixture. And um, so he definitely had to make us feel like we sucked until he could build us back up and we felt really good that was all within four days and um really cool experience i think a quote from the time was you guys were making a transition now from being dreamers to doers yeah yeah i mean because like before you sit there and wonder how these platinum records are made and stuff and now we're making records in the same room that all these other records have been made um so uh, I think now that we've done all that, we can take that approach or we could take this approach because we know how it was done there. Let's do it differently here. Or, you know, we, if we want that, we, we want that. And um, everything is just a learning experience for us. So a second music break, two songs, but your songs. Our songs. Yeah, your songs. So here we go. Um, first song is the one that fans misinterpret the most. Oh, man. Um It's really hard to think about this. People really get pages, so it's definitely not pages. Um, I'd have to say I can't decide. 
people. Why that one? Uh, you can you can sit there and interpret it as a, a heartbroken romance and a guy girl thing, but it's actually about the loss of my father and the indecision that that led me to in this confusion state of mind, and that's that's what that song's about. But uh, you know, I'm not expecting people to know that. It's just people don't know that. <laughs> and given the second song that you love, mm-hmm. but your fans just haven't connected to. Oh man, I really don't know. Um, off of a little faster, I think. I think in general, it hasn't really. Our fans that really do love it are diehard, but the rest of the world can't really fully understand it yet because they're looking for that three-minute song that the chorus does this and the verse does that and doesn't do this and stuff. So uh, a little faster is all over the place. It's a little bit um, eclectic in taste. So, but I, I think I think the songs like "Sore Winter" or uh, "The World Calling" are a little bit more peppier, heavier songs. Uh, maybe people don't absolutely feel except i think the bros do but maybe not the women i could be wrong though there's a lot of rock and roll girls out there that love the music cold afternoon i sleep in some back of the room avoid the sun you turned off the I can't decide Only the dark can feel my touch No kind of remark could burn this much Cause I'm as cold as December And I would surrender Until you give me back my love Don't you to leave me all alone Leave me in the dark Leave me in the cold Don't you to leave Before I could show You half of the man You wanted to know But I had to face Your last goodbye But I had to face Your last Look on my face, my bloodshot eyes So who won the war deep down inside? I can't decide I can't decide I can't see the sun 
quote from you recently, somewhat recently. No, it actually isn't. It's a while ago. Sorry. We can do without the big hair and makeup. That kind of rock star is done. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a new breed of rock star that is a lot more humble. Yeah. Do you think you represent a new breed of rock star? Or you could? I could. I definitely could. Um, I, there's a certain thing you appreciate about those untouchable godlike people. Um, but there's also the things you really appreciate about like the Jesse Lacey's and the, you know, more vulnerable Kurt Cobain's and the ones that really just don't give a, a, a crap, like about anything. I hate that word crap. Really don't give a shit. And, uh, <laughs> I correct myself a lot. Um, yeah. And, and now that the, the whole world has been open to the rest of the world like the world of a rock star it's just completely changed and i don't think labels have know how to deal with it i don't think the artists know how to deal with it i think just some things work and some things don't but as far as um as far as yeah i'm more badass than everybody else i think it's a lot different now um do you feel that do you feel some days you you wonder if um there's a lot of bands right now that are kind of breaking up yeah. We're going on hiatus. Yeah. Financial reasons. Part of it, good chunk of it's because of the economy. But is there part of it that you kind of wonder, like, if you're going to be able to actually stay ahead of it all so yeah. that you can make it as a career as a musician? Yeah. And not maybe be prematurely retired behind the board? Yeah. Well, I think the main thing that we really try to be really, really careful about and we're learning to do and learning how to handle is is really taking care of our energy and trying to always stay revitalized and fresh. Um, I think the bands that really lose it are the ones that lose faith in themselves and creativity and kind of just start falling off with um, having to live up to expectations. And, and uh, you know, we've seen it many different ways, many different formulas, but I think for us, the the main thing we know is, is the, the potential between us all and what we have to offer over over what other people have to offer. Um, it's just kind of like, I don't, we, we don't see why not. And, and the fans that were brewing and the, the big old buzz between the the family we have of followers, is just going to explode. It really feels like it. And if it doesn't, you know, that's fine. We'll take whatever and run with it. But, um, we can't really think about too much in, in, in the far future, but we definitely think about the near future, try to incorporate new things that people aren't doing yet. And, um, think about how to tie that into our sound and, and, and give that to our fans. Like this remix EP we're doing called Recreations, <clears throat> just something to show the world, though, we can do this ourselves. It's uh, you know our own remixes. We incorporate dubstep sounds, house, electronic stuff uh, with our own songs. We even put a new song on there just to put out there for our people. Why dubstep? What attracted you guys to Bass. that? Cause it, is it the whole band ended up step, or is it just you and is it Jay? No, no, every, everybody is now. All right, everybody but is now. I, right. I've been like a dub head for a long time. I've really just grew into it. Um, right away, I think it's just that that, that magical tempo of one forty BPMs and just the sub frequencies that there's a, there's a certain way bass hits your body, it affects your whole body. Like instead of top end or treble frequencies, you only really like get affected and and your brain stimulates differently, but your whole body, you feel bass. You feel that. 
So I think that's what it really is. When you we hear it in club, it's just like a plague. You can't get away. So uh, we started incorporating that. You'll see on the live show tonight, we got some, some sub-bass wobbles and just stuff to play around and limitless, just limitless stuff we can, you can do with music now. What's going to happen, another record next year? Mm-hmm. Who's producing? We haven't even announced it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> we do know. We do know. I should I? I guess I should just drop it. Should I? If you like, it's it's, it's so great about having this recorded. This is yes. <laughs> right now, Elvis Basket, Michael Elvis Basket's doing it. He's done Chevelle. Uh, he's worked on mm -hmm. with Incubus a lot of times, and just been fans of what he does sonically and and what he does uh, with the with the music. So we'll see how it goes. Are you excited? Are you excited? Are you a little mm -hmm. scared at all? Intimidated? No, 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 no. Uh, I, the only, only, any kind of uh, back thoughts I have is just getting the songs right. That's all that matters. All the other stuff, you know, is just candy on top of the the real. It's the dessert, but the real meal is in the songs and the magic that's happening with the lyrics and how people can connect to it. And we've learned about that, so. Uh, we take that into account strongly now when we're writing for this. <clears throat> but we got a couple months. That's all we got. I think um, Pete Townsend said you got from one years old to 18 to write your first album. Then you got like 18 to 19 to write your second album. So like, yeah, it's true. But fortunately, we just started traveling the world. We just started doing all these new things that are just insane to us. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. You said uh, at one point the best advice you ever got was from John Feldman? Yeah. Do you remember it? Mm-hmm. We were sitting in the back of a, uh, of the knitting factory in L.A. It's our first time playing L.A., and it was a, you know, quote-unquote showcase, whatever those mean. And uh, he was back there, and JR was a great friend with him at the time when JR was managing us, and we, he was there, and he was like, you know... Uh, it's just real safe and it's it's not like you know i just remember when the days of rock and punk was just so scary you didn't know what the front man was going to do like you know henry rollins or you know whoever and uh he was like you know what man he looked at me he's like just go home get your heart broken and write some songs and i did <laughs> and how i went home and my high school sweetheart thing just fell through and perfect song songwriting material perfect <laughs> yeah good thank you <laughs> Anything for the career, right? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, you said a couple random things. What kind of I wanted to ask you about? Um, your fingers are quadruple jointed. <laughs> you can see that. Wow, those you go back really crack. far. Yeah. yeah, they pretty much hear that? 90 degree angles. This touches the wrist. That touches the wrist. Your thumb touches your wrist. I don't know, just... Weird things. Like, wow, man. What you could do with card tricks. <laughs> I could. You, you are. You have like salamander. <laughs> salamander hands. It's that reach. Yeah. You, I can I can reach from fret 2 to 11, I think, or 12 or something. On the, on the guitar? On the guitar, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. You're like, you could do flamenco. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can. <laughs> um, Twitter recently, Clear Channel killed the radio star. Yeah. What's that about? It's just weird how... A businessman can take over something that involves music and flourish. And uh, obviously, there's 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 uh, a monetary aspect to, to to music and 
how that all affects the world and how you how you how you can make money off music is is one way but um when burrito stand owners buy studios and and you have to talk to the burrito stand owner owner to get studio time to make this beautiful song you love it's it's just weird it's really weird so then when you have to start talking wall street to get your music on the radio things start to change and then you start hearing the same song constantly on the radio because they know wall street or whoever's manager hooked that up or paid that or it's uh it's really cluttered really cluttered so do you kind of feel like you're against the man yeah i mean I, i've always been somewhat protest but i didn't know what i was protesting until now i just really cannot see right with anything in genuine when it comes to music um there's people that do the mainstream level really well. Uh, I, I'm I'm a big Gaga fan, honestly. I mean, I don't sit here playing her music and singing it in the mirror, but <laughs> only on Tuesday. But no, I I just like you know she she's artistic with things. There's a way to be an artist. You know, Kanye West I think he's an artist. Jay Z is an artist. Um, these people do it in a certain way. It's so great. But uh, when you start having to write a song to get big, it's like and it doesn't line up with who you are, that's where we turn our heads. You have a studio in your garage? Yeah, if, if you could call it that. <laughs> Just a little project studio, yeah. A little workbench. Yeah. yeah. Lift heavy weight on it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and who are you working with? You've, you produce local people? Or? Yeah, I mean, I have, but uh, mainly it's just a, another instrument for the band. Like... Um, like this this EP that we're about to release called Recreations we did there I did produced and it's fine <laughs> you know it's like nowadays you don't need to go cut tape and retape it all and piece tape together for like 10 hours you can sit there and save a session and then track the next thing 2 years later if you want it's it's really convenient for a a musician now well to wrap this up um, just because I brought it up and then I completely went away from it, just mm. from those that, that I, I just want to confirm a couple of things about this because uh, going back to your astrology chart, yeah. very, very, very briefly here. Um, the uh, For an Aries, uh, it says that you're fiercely independent. Uh, you must be first in everything you do and you enjoy taking risks. You're the one who will rush in where angels fear to tread. Mm -hmm. You think that's at all accurate about you? Yeah. Um. I don't mean, I don't really think I would jump into war with AK-47 unless it was against, like, I'm not going to name names, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've always tried to be on that forefront of new things and new ideas and always wanted to be different. So that, I mean, that my shirt says I am, which I already talked about. I just want to be me. That's all. Do you think that uh, um, it also says you're in a, that that um, you are fastidious to the extreme? You cannot tolerate messes and will immediately clean them up. So, are you like the role oh, wow. member in the band that like keeps the bus clean, the van clean? Um, Chris is really tidy. Oh, okay, real tidy. He got that from his parents. Uh, <laughs> they're they're great. They they're so clean. His dad is like a handy handyman, and he's helped us out so much in the past. And present 
all of our parents have. Uh, but yeah, Chris is real, real tidy, and so am I. So we we keep things pretty clean. Well, in the band, everybody's got a role. Like yeah. some people, like one person's the mom, one person's the dad, one person's the yeah. spoiled kid, the other one's a troublemaker. One supports. Yeah. So, so I mean, I've read that Chris is like the one that usually deals with the manager. Is that right? No. No. So who? The, what are the roles for everybody in the band? I don't know, man. Chris is the the ladies' man, the the eye candy, and the um, and the the promo guy who will blow something up. Uh, on the flip side, he's also heavy creative, you know, insight, writing, anything, very opinionated. Um, Christian is really good with business, and he's really good with just started really getting into the video editing and, and that's who i was thinking about was christian yeah christian yeah sorry um and he's he's his his father's real business savvy as well so he, he's he's always a close tie and um uh yeah he, he's real good with numbers which i hate math and that was my nap time every day in high school <laughs> and middle school so uh he, he's good with that um and he can sing higher than me that's his role too <laughs> but uh and yeah. What about you and Jay? Jay Jay is like the the rock. It's it's really weird because he's the oldest, he's the shortest, but he's the the lightest, he's the 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 freest. And uh he's always got that youthful approach to everything and um he's always been that kind of rock though because he is the oldest maybe and uh he's going through things at different times than than we are or have yet to go through. Um so he he uh we all have our own struggles and and we struggle together um as far as me i i'm just trying to be me in the band i um you know there's a lot of expectations of of what a lead singer should do for the band and how he should be which you know is a struggle but um i just try to be that creative monster i just want to be that is there ever a part of you that kind of doesn't want to be lead singer would prefer to just to kind of not have that you step out of the van or the bus and like yeah just well, I don't really have that fortunately I don't know if I should say yet but <laughs> I don't really have that um I think people are pretty respectful because they know how I am or, or can kind of see on Twitter how I am I'm not that band toy where you can come up and just flash their face all the time um so for some reason there's just cool understanding that happens with 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 people unless we're touring with a certain band and their little bubble gums come and take pictures and stuff <laughs> but um our fans are really cool they're really interesting and and they're always telling us like we love how real the music is and how real you guys are and how passionate and they're the same exact way so i think we're just trying to develop a better tomorrow for people um in the music world but uh yeah I think it just works out perfectly because I have so much to say and I want to say it. It works out that I'm the lead singer. But um, other than that, I'm still trying to figure myself out. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Yeah, no. I mean, I, we're never content. We're always, always just harsh on ourselves and um, we're always just wanting more and more and more. I think it'll stay that way. So it keeps you hungry? Definitely, definitely. Real hungry. Big Mac hungry. <laughs> the AP Podcast has been sponsored by Epitaph Records, featuring new releases from Bad Religion, Bring Me the Horizon, Weezer, and Parkway Drive. 
For more information on all Epitaph Records news, release schedules, and exclusive videos and merch, go to epitaph.com. In the evening, every night, I am dreaming of a chance to make it right. Every chance that I get. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Robert Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com/slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium AP. 